Welcome to On the Up and Up. I'm your host, Kira LaForgia, and every week I'm bringing you behind the scenes of running a successful business. Join me while we laugh, learn, and connect on mostly HR inappropriate topics with successful founders, diverse leaders, and kick-ass employees. It's true, your HR lady may have fired your bestie or made you sign a love contract, but we also have all the hot gossip that will make you better at your job. Whether you're on your way up the corporate ladder, are a fellow HR villain, or are building a culture as a rising entrepreneur. Oh my gosh, this is the best day of my life. Okay, picture this. It's January and your sales are continuing to climb. You're so excited your business is doing what it's supposed to be doing. You look at the clock, another 9 p.m. bedtime. Your partner's annoyed. You haven't seen your kids or dog for a fully present and uninterrupted time period in weeks. You're at a crossroads. You know you need help, but you don't know where to begin. Then recruitment guru Meg Baker McCoy. <laughs> Meg McCoy? <laughs> Megan pops up on your Instagram and you schedule a call. Megan and her team map out the perfect role for your new employee. They advise what to include so the job ad fits with what you can afford. And they ask you all about your company, your goals, and they spend time getting to know you. Shortly after, you review the job ad. It's like they read your mind. And it's posted all over the place, including job boards that seek out diverse applicants and different networks that you have never even heard of. Three weeks later, you get a message from Meg's team that they've narrowed down your candidates and they'd like for you to review the top three and schedule a final round of interviews with you. You get to review the recorded interviews on your own time and you can see this is going to be a hard decision. Meg's team facilitates your final interviews and helps you narrow down your choice. They even send the offer over to your candidate. The following month, your new team member shows up ready to go because they've been vetted, prepped with expectations set, and they're all on the same page. Doesn't that sound like a dream? I'm so excited to introduce our guest slash it's Meg. So without Meg, there would be no paradigm truly um, for this episode. And all things like transparent, we are promoting our very popular joint offer. Um, And we're going to talk a little bit about that towards the end of the episode. But I really just wanted to dive in and have all of you get to know Meg and see why it's so awesome to work with someone like her and also just to have her in your orbit to learn from. Um, Meg really pushes the boundaries through her recruiting and through her business practices, and I learn so much from her every single day. So welcome, Meg, to On the Up and Up. Can you believe it? We have made it. <laughs> we have made it. We've landed. I'm just happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So, I mean, if anybody's followed for a little while, they've heard me talk about you on the podcast. They've heard me talk about our experiences working together, what I learned from you, pointing people in your direction all the time. But in your and I mean, this really isn't like a commercial, although it might have sounded like it at the beginning. But I'm just so excited for everyone to know who you really are, because I think that that informs what you do and how we work together so well. So in your own words, Give us the mega approved intro, bio, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> hey, everyone. I'm Megan McCoy, formerly known as Megan Baker. Um, I Yes, like Kira said, I am her recruiting friend. Um, my background is in education. Um, and through a whole biography that I'm going to spare you all of right now, uh, I've landed in recruiting exclusively, pretty much exclusively for small business and for online business. And my firm is small, um, but my whole MO is 
to help business owners. Okay, guys, I'm going to cut the bullshit. Like we're all here in entrepreneurship because we're shifting the paradigm, right? We're trying to do things differently. That's why we left corporate. And I know Kira will later ask me about my corporate trauma, but we're kind of here to rewrite the rules. And I'm really here to give CEOs and business owners permission to write their own rules and to not just do some cookie cutter, hey, this is what you need next in your organization, but to really be strategic and really get personal about who they are, how they operate. Well, if still, of course, following the rules, which is where HR comes in and compliance comes in, but really getting to know my clients and really getting to tailor specifically the role, the job role that's going to work for them. And I really believe that the more front loading that we do in the beginning of the expectations for this, for whatever the next hire is in your company is what's going to set up your next employee for success. And that is just the most kind of, the most kindest thing that you can do for someone <laughs> is set them up for success. But um, I'm kind of here to help the business owner get clear on what that is. And then if you know me, you know that I am very into equitable hiring practices um, and racial equity, especially when it comes to hiring. Um, so I do all of this with uh, a, a diversity, equity, and inclusion lens when I actually do my recruiting. Um, I'm a big believer too on not just hiring within your network. I really think it's so important to give everyone an opportunity, especially folks who historically and still today are excluded from a lot of opportunities. And some people might be afraid that I'm going to like woke police them and I'm not, but I'm just here to help people um, create more inclusive practices too. But very importantly, I'm here to help you create the role that's going to make the most sense in your company. And that's just something that recruiters just don't usually do. Kira and I were talking earlier about that. Um, most of them don't get to know your company or the CEO. And I really do believe that the CEO, so, so much of you is the lifeblood of your company. And we need to get really clear on what kind of support that you need. And, and, you know, that can change as your organization grows and your org chart changes, but I'm here to really clearly help you be confident and clearly figure out who that next hire is. And then I go find them. Yes. And that is not to be confused with smacking a job ad out there, co collecting a bunch of candidates and looking for the shiniest, brightest, most referred option or hiring your sister's Ew. best friend because they sent you an awesome, <laughs> a perfectly timed Instagram DM or whatever. And I know because I have literally been there and I know, Meg, there's probably times when you have as well through growing your business, you're like, I we get into this situation where we're like, we need help so bad. Like we can't see the forest through the trees that like the easiest option does feel like the right one. And I'm not going to say that you can't take advantage of having somebody on your team. That's going to help you hire for the hemorrhage or like fill those holes while you can. But 
This is more in the terms of you've figured out that your business is going to be able to grow. And so you want to contribute to a solid foundation with your people operation. So Meg, how long does it take for people to, if they were going to do this process right? Because you do have a course, which is so inclusive and it's so thorough. But how long does it take to find somebody and to do the real due diligence that comes with setting someone up for success the way that you're talking about it? So the actual hiring process, six to eight weeks, and then really onboarding someone and getting them fully up to speed and up to expectations can take up to 90 days from when they start. Mm-hmm. And when you but are- But it's worth the investment. I promise it's worth the time investment because otherwise you're just doing more temporary Band-Aid solutions. Yeah. But it it does take time. And with that, there's, I know one of the things that you always talk about is doing your due diligence. And we both struggle with this, just like entrepreneur to entrepreneur. Uh, It's not that fun to talk about doing your due diligence. But can you talk about what that actually means and why it matters and how you've seen it manifest with your clients? Mm -hmm. So doing your due diligence, for one, and Kira, you and I have talked about this, if something is not working with a candidate, you want to be you want to be really confident that you did everything that you could. And then it's going to make it easier for you if something doesn't work out in the future to pinpoint what adjustments that you need to do. So that's that's for one. Um and also doing your due diligence in hiring, which you know, I said can take six to eight weeks, really like time-wise of like from the time that you are writing the job ad and do not copy and paste it from like some random person. It it really needs to be intentional. Um, my team member Paris and I are incredibly intentional when we do this um, so that we have the best chances of making it work. Um, and that, that takes us 30 to 40 hours per project. And really, most importantly, Kira, not just from like, it's good for business, but it's just good as human to human is ensuring that you're giving everyone a chance. I can talk about this shit until I'm blue in the face, but it's it's really making sure that you are incredibly clear and incredibly objective about what it takes in order for someone to be successful and then giving everyone an opportunity to meet that criteria. Because if you just go for someone who's shiny or a lot of times what we do just as human beings is we go for people that remind us of ourselves. Um, a lot of times we have these implicit biases and we don't mean necessarily to be racist or ageist or whatever discriminatory in our practices, but it comes to us very naturally. And I think it's so important in due diligence and just ethically to combat that that bias that can come. Not only is it the right thing to do, I do think it's good for business and that's how you promote diversity as well. So um, it's really getting clear about what those objective criteria are about not only what the responsibilities are, but I am incredibly thorough with my clients and figuring out in, in different kind of buckets of what the criteria are to be an incredibly successful candidate and then looking at all the applications that come in and then without even knowing what a person looks like where they live anything like looking at their resume looking at 
some answers that they write to see who's the most aligned. And then, sorry, I'm going into the weeds here about how I do hiring, but this is how you get, not only is it the right thing to do ethically, you get the best results business-wise, period. Yeah. And I think that not, you can take it from Meg, but also we'll link a couple of really solid peer reviewed articles that talk about how good diversity is for business. And we're not just talking about like Meg mentioned earlier, like the woke police or whatever, but we're actually talking about people from different backgrounds that it doesn't necessarily mean that we're only talking about people that are of different races or religions or whatever. But in the U S we have so much diversity and there is plenty of evidence out there that talks about how, Capitalizing on that diversity and letting people be who they truly are in their roles is so good for business. It creates such a more, it creates bigger profit margins. It creates a higher level of understanding of a consumer. Um, I know I'm just like constantly beating my head against the wall trying to understand who I'm selling to. Like if someone were to ask me a question, it would be like, I don't even know what I do because marketing is so hard for the HR brain in me. (laughs) But having people on your team that come from a different background can really help lend lend over this experience to help your business be able to grow and compete in this market. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting when we first met was how you are able to be more diverse in the process that comes before you ever really start to review the applications and in getting the ad written and getting the post written and getting the marketing copy written and the, in the relationship you build with the CEO, how does all that I think it's cool to go in the weeds. I mean, our audience here are entrepreneurs. So like they want to know, you know, and you do all of this in a really systematic way. And all of us have our own systems for our own businesses. So I'm sure that they're curious. Like we hear this bullshit all the time about like diverse hiring and be diverse and be woke or whatever the Mm -hmm. hell. And we're all just like, okay, but we're just like a couple of white women, like being annoying. Like, how do I know that this is actually making a difference? And it comes before anything that could be considered performative. Mm -hmm. It's literally in the building process of how you're creating these ads. And that's one thing I've really learned from you is that that's, it's all in the prep. It's all in those, those 30, 40 hours of due diligence. Mm -hmm. That's how you bring those people in. Can you Mm -hmm. talk about, I mean, don't give away the secret sauce, not that it's that easy to do, but (laughs) what are a couple of the things that you do in that, in that initial getting to know the CEO period that helps to set that foundation? Oh, this is such a hard question to answer. Good. I hope that you have a hard time. No, I just know that you do this in like so many ways, but I also Mm -hmm. am trying to get Mm -hmm. you to talk to people about how your special sauce is to get to know people really well. (laughs) Yeah, that, that, (laughs) I mean, that's really what it is. And a lot of it too is And I don't know if we're going to have to cut some of this out in editing because it's not super (laughs) sexy to talk about, but it's also understanding where people's hearts are when it comes to diversity and when it comes to supporting people that that have been exploited. Well, right. Social causes. And a lot of it, especially with my fellow white clients, is a fear that things are going to feel performative or seem performative. But it's really me getting to the core of what their intentions are when it comes to business. And all of my clients, really, when it comes down to it, 
you know, really ba- really with on theme with the up and up is they want to build a better business and not traumatize people and they want to be inclusive, but they, they are afraid that things might be performative. Um, and really what I do is I help them build a recruiting system that is an integrity with where they are. And what, what I'm trying to say is that isn't fake. It's not performative. It's genuine. Um, and kind of just, I, I am never going to be one who's going to replace anti-racism education. That work really comes from people of marginalized groups. That comes from black educators. It's, we're currently recording during Black History Month. Like, really, in order to be better, um, especially, you know, if anyone listening is white and, like, straight passing like me and Kira, um, or just, you know, really privileged. It comes from being incredibly curious. It comes from letting your defenses down a bit, admitting that we benefit from a lot of exploitation of others and, um, a lot of privilege and that we do have biases. It's openly accepting that and opening yourself up to be vulnerable, to make mistakes, when it comes to trying to dismantle systems that Kira really benefit us and really fuck over other people. Um, and I guess part of my secret sauce is helping my clients embrace that vulnerability because a big race aside and diversity aside, it's a really vulnerable process for us to open up our businesses to strangers, to recruit to strangers. So, the reason why my methodology, I hate to say methodology, but how I do what I do works is because it kind of gets to the core of this humanity and this vulnerability that we open ourselves up to. Um, and I get to see firsthand what CEOs are kind of afraid to admit their fears of replicating patterns of, um, I hate to say oppression, but like oppressive patterns or abusive patterns that they've seen. Um, and they really don't want to replicate that. And that's hard for them to admit. So in my onboarding, you know, I have conversations with them and and Kira, you do an excellent job of really materializing how they're going to be good bosses in our, you know, in our VIP package with, um, with their policies and, and, I guess, Kira, I need to start listening to you that what I do is so much more than recruiting because it is really helping me, helping the CEOs actualize and get brave about what kind of leader they're going to be and give them that little extra push, um, not just to help them be vulnerable, but there is an accountability that I give to people in putting themselves out there and putting their necks on the lines when it comes to diversity. Um, and when it comes to admitting that we all need to do better as white business owners. So that's, what was the question? Well, um, I forgot, but it is, <laughs> that's the, I think that's, that, <laughs> well, anyway, no, okay. I oh, think it's the, this, uh, the special, yes, I get to know the people. <laughs> I, I help them see their vulnerability and I hold them accountable and I push them a little bit and, but I help them feel okay about it because 
Well, I think you just let people that want to build better businesses. I let them be themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And you make people feel really comfortable. And one thing I think is really cool and that we hear from a lot of our joint clients is how you also bring that out in your candidates so that when you Mm -hmm. are interviewing and when you and Paris are doing those screens and you're not just checking the HR boxes, but you're checking the people boxes, you are able Mm -hmm. to help people feel really comfortable being themselves so that you are having them show up in the most genuine way. And that's why your rate of, of success for employees is so much higher than the average that all of us jaded HR bitches Mm -hmm. are like, Oh yeah. Like two out of three are going to quit. Sorry to tell you. Like your rate is so much higher than that based on how, Mm -hmm. who sticks around, how Mm -hmm. long they do and, and all of that good stuff. So it kind of leads right into my next question. And it's intentional. It's by, Oh, I was just going to say it's, and it's all intentional and by design. Yeah. And it's hard yeah. for me to explain. So thanks for saying that. Anyway, next question. Well, I think it's so fun to hear you talk about this because it's almost like your passion is unbridled. And I think as entrepreneurs, we can all understand how it's more than what we can answer in an interview. Like what all of us mm-hmm. do is so important. And that's kind of crazy to think about how much that mirrors over to even just your answer to that question. It's like, it has so many layers. And when our, you understand that on a CEO level as well. So you can meet your clients right where they're at. Cause you understand the depth to which they yeah. care and love their business. And I think that's something mm-hmm. that's really lost and- in the recruiting space. Right. I I think that's a great point. And I understand firsthand those fears of putting myself out there of, and of letting people into the company and then having to train them and then having it not work. And I've, I've been there. So Mm -hmm. I, I get it. And it's the people part that's really important to me. I just like getting to know my clients. Truthfully, I think that there's so much that, like, even when you're saying that, like, I'm in the process of hiring another employee or and or basically starting to get my guts in gear to think about it because it's scary no matter how many times you do it. And I think there's a lot of people that are listening that are really going to relate to that. And my next question, it just kind of leads right in. It's it's obvious that using a recruiter is going to be something that's not only going to save you 40 hours of time, which you already don't have because you are that's what you're hiring in the first place. But what about the times when you think it makes sense to DIY? Like what about the times when people hop on those discovery calls with you and you're like, I think you can figure it out on your own. Like what are those kind of characteristics that help you with guiding them in that direction? Definitely. So I would say if you're looking for contract support and you're in those kind of early stages of building your organization, and if you have the time, I think that's a great time to DIY it. However, when it comes to having employee support, that's typically when I recommend that you consider enlisting our help. I think that a prerequisite of any of it, whether you're outsourcing your recruitment or doing it yourself, is being open-minded, open to learning what you don't know, and open to learning more about management and showing up. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, there's such a huge, we talk a lot on this podcast about hiring your first employee and we do hear from our clients like, well, I really want to get my hands dirty and hire them myself. Like this person is my right hand person, like blah, 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 because they don't realize that there's often a recruiter out there that will make this a really personalized process. But if you're just hiring a contractor, do you have people that reach out and they're like, 
hey, I need help finding a contractor. And like, is that something that happens a lot in this day and age? You know what? Not in this day and age. Um, In my early stages of recruiting, totally. But then our industry kind of woke up to a little thing called compliance. Um, And, and a lot, and, and people are kind of wisening up too that a lot of times what people used to want from a contractor, they have to get from an employee. And some folks just didn't want to take the responsibility of having an employee. Um, and they've had to learn the hard way that the con- you can't just have a contractor long term. Yeah, it's too hard. I mean, we've all learned it, I think, at some point or another. <laughs> it's either I mean, going to be yes. really expensive or you're not going to get the right support or at just a certain point, you just grow out of it. It's not that contractors aren't important. We both are important and we're both contractors. Wait, right. We're both contractors. Right. But what we do is so specific and what typically when people come to me and they want contractors – what they're actually looking for is someone to be an integral part of their business and of the deliverables of what they do. Whereas what we do for our employees or sorry, our clients, they're not selling what we do. They're like, we're not a part of their deliverables. Sorry. That's a whole nother conversation. Um, yeah. <laughs> but in short, I don't, I, I don't recommend outsourcing um, my services for contractors. Yeah, that's awesome. And Mm -hmm. so there's always a few myths that we hear. And I think it's kind of fun to see how like over the last couple years since we first met, how this conversation has sort of evolved. Um, But one of the things that really sticks with me that you've always told me in the past is that there are like sometimes just off the record, like frustration, convos, texts, FaceTimes, whatever, when we're just like talking about business, talking about clients and stuff like that, is that sometimes we work with clients that want an application that will wow us. And what is that? (laughs) And I think that's pretty normal. Like, honestly, if somebody says that to me, I am, I mean, I'm not all the way in the guts like you are, but I'm like, yeah, I get why you would feel that way because that's what we've been sold. We've been Mm -hmm. told that we should know when we see it. It's like falling in love or whatever the hell. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. there are no like, black and white things about it. But I remember one of the things that you told me was that that's just not the right way to choose your candidates Mm -hmm. or choose the people that are making the interviews. Can you talk about that in context a little bit? Yeah. So when I hear that from my clients, these are the ones that can't make a decision on who they're going to go with and they keep getting in their own way because they have this certain expectation. And I think it takes a lot of responsibility off of themselves as managers to develop people. Um, And I think it takes a lot of imagination out of seeing potential in people. And I think that the best business owners, okay, because I'm one of these people, are the most creative ones and the ones that push boundaries and the ones that question the things that we've been sold and the things that we've been fed. And I think a lot of times the, not to talk shit, but sometimes when people say, Hey, I just want someone that wows me. It is kind of romantic or, or that can be sometimes code for like, I want someone that reminds me of me. I want, and that just breeds homogeny. I think having a certain expectation and a certain je ne sais quoi of what I want in a candidate 
it's not clear. I think it sets you up for failure. I think it, it lacks a lot of creativity and a lot of potential. And I think it breeds homogeny. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's one thing when I, I can honestly say that even now, like I have to catch myself in those moments where I'm like, I don't know, just like, no, they didn't just jump out off the page at me. Like they didn't just like, wow me, whatever. But then it's, you kind of have to take a step back and question yourself. Like, why do you feel the need to be wowed by somebody that you're going to be paying to do a job that you're going to tell them how to do? Like if right. anything, or you... like someone who's doing operations, it's like, they're not you. That's not what we're looking for. That's why yeah. we're hiring someone different. And, um, and, and really how I do it is I just kind of assume that everyone it's like innocent until proven guilty. I assume everyone can do the job until I get evidence that they can't. And then that's just how I funnel people out. I very intentionally have different stages of the recruiting process. And if you're rolling, if your brain is like, wow, what the heck? Just hire me and I'll do it for you and it'll be great. <laughs> but, <laughs> but there's different ways that we can assess candidates. And I really do feel like method, like that recruitment this way of having these different stages and just kind of whittling it down to a small group of people who have a lot of potential, that's where they can get lost. These people that can actually really move the needle in your business, they can get lost in our old ways. Yeah. And things. there's another myth that is follow your gut when you're hiring I don't necessarily think that not having your gut involved is a bad or is like the right, you know, like you don't want to go totally black and white. But we hear, especially from people that haven't been doing this a lot, that that should be the thing, the thi the mm -hmm. central theme for when they're hiring their first person is to listen to their gut. And I know that you have taught me that that's not the case. It's one f small element of it, but... Tell me more mm -hmm. about that, because that's some advice that people are going to be like, what the fuck? <laughs> I thought I had to do this. You know Everyone I'm... tells me to do this, you know? <laughs> I think that's great advice when you're dating um, and <laughs> romantically and not in business. Um... <laughs> um, I, you know what? I think if you have certain spidey senses that are making you feel uncomfortable with someone or something. I think it's something worth exploring, but I don't think it's fair or equitable to necessarily cut someone off in a business relationship because of that. I think it's good to talk to your recruiter about it and kind of get curious to see where's that coming from? Is it a limiting belief? Is it, is it relevant or, you know, is it a hangup that you have that, can ultimately kind of hold you back in your management and in your, in your recruiting process. Um, and I think a lot of times too, I I'm, I'm like cringing that I said this on podcasts and I, I'm just going to say it cause I've said it. Sometimes our guts can be biased <laughs> or yeah. What were you going to say? Racist? Yeah, I, yes. Yes. Cause I've said that before, you know, I've said, so I, I, and I'm not going to take it back. It's, um, but our, our guts can be biased because we as humans, and this is something that is okay for us to admit, we need to admit it that sometimes we do like nervous system or whatever, feel more comfortable around people who look and sound just like us. Mm -hmm. Um, and like 
I used to do Loom videos in my initial process and like initial applications. Um, I don't do that anymore because I saw a lot of those biases come up um, that aren't fair and that aren't good and aren't really legal either. <laughs> they can be like, it can lead us to do discriminatory practices that aren't good and not fair. And so I, you know, I, with business, I think there's a balance, especially in like us doing like the new way of business. There is a balance of following our guts and our instincts, but I think it is really important to look at the big picture and to balance that and, and to sometimes challenge ourselves and push ourselves. I think it's better for business. And I think just ethically, it's not a good idea to go to put so much stock into your guts when it comes to hiring. I think our guts can really inform us on growth opportunities that we have or certain biases or blind spots that we may have. Um, but I just don't think it's very fair or very equitable um, to put so much stock in your guts. Yeah. And I remember one to, time we to were other talking... people, to candidates. Yeah. And one time we were talking about, um, that little trick that people do when they're like, oh, I'm going to hide this word Ew. in this job post. And it became like a really it became like a really common thing for a while for people to like hide, you know, the word like, I don't know, Monticello. There's a book over here um, <laughs> in the middle of a job <laughs> post. And then when they apply, it's like we're immediately going to test them by asking them what that like secret word was. And my initial thought was like, well, for some reason we as employers have put ourselves on this pedestal of we get to test you and then you have to earn us when really that's not the case at all. We want to create a space where a lot of people and a lot of candidates can connect with us so then they can mm -hmm. also test us. It has to be a mutual process. And the way we do that is through making sure that we can bring in a lot of different personalities. Because let's be honest, I cannot think of one person, and that is like including my friends, my family, whatever, that might call something following their gut when really it's just their brain has downloaded a bunch of generational trauma that they're recreating harmful pathways mm -hmm. in their life over and over. And that's right. informing these decisions. And I don't, and it's creating a, a strange, um, well, they're disqualifying. It's like a very strange wall that people are building up around them um, by, by doing this. I have a lot of feelings <laughs> about this, mm -hmm. but I think it's a kind of funny way to disqualify people. And it, it feels very like guarded to me when I think there are, it just, also, it just feels like kind of a cheap shot and a little lazy of a way to disqualify people when really you should do that by like actually having to do the work your own as the CEO and as the recruiter and think the questions that we ask to actually narrow it, narrow the pool down need to be related to the job. And that that's where that 30 to 40 hours of due diligence also comes in is being really intentional and that can be hard sometimes because we have to like look at ourselves very deeply and um, that can be and like look at ourselves in the mirror and that can be and be really reflective and that can be challenging and uncomfortable. But it's just a cheap shot of way to disqualify people when really you need to think about the actual role and what are the objective skill sets that are needed um, and other soft skills that are needed. Mm -hmm. That's really how you should narrow it down is. Mm -hmm. 
intentionally thinking about what's going to be a good fit and what's not. But just saying that's where attention to detail. And, and, and like you said, Kira, it, it's kind of sets the tone of like trickery and like putting us on a pedestal when we need the people as much as they need employment. And we're not really in a market to be playing fucking tricks on people. Like we're, <laughs> but there's plenty of jobs and not enough people. So yeah. And yeah, it, I, I think it's just kind of a strange way to start something to yeah, start a relationship. I, yeah. it gives me the ick. Yeah. And like you said, maybe we skipped over this, but when we're talking about that, like putting a random word or phrase in the middle of a job post, it's like people are like, well, I want somebody that has a lot of attention to detail or whatever. But it's like, well, what if the job is like a designer and the attention to detail is like making sure they're checking everything off their project management system or their designs are visually beautiful or whatever. And it has absolutely nothing to do with copy editing. Like, how does that make any sense? I have a friend and she's very Mm -hmm. successful. Um, she's a she's a global learning and development person for a company that is I don't even think I'm allowed to say it like she's very very successful very smart um, highly sought after when she was looking for a job she was like I don't want to apply for something that's going to take me 45 minutes and so she was skipping over major companies jobs because they were not taking account into account that these are professionals these are individuals they have you know, why do, if I updated my, if I, if you want my resume, here it is. Like now you want me to type it all in? Like that's like outdated. It's pointless. Like being able to Mm -hmm. have someone that I don't, I personally would rather have somebody apply for my jobs that are like, here's all the information in a really efficient way. Instead of like, yeah, I've got three hours to screw around with this. Like I'd actually don't want a candidate that's like thinks that that's important, you know, like I want somebody that's going to think a little mm-hmm. bigger and think outside the box. And that's what employees do. They, they bring a different level of effort and these hiring practices have been so stupid. And that's partly, partly what has contributed to the really high turnover rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why like in our applications, we're really intentional. Like, of course we ask for the resume, but we ask like certain questions that can help us see are you a good fit and help them see if they're a good fit and weed themselves out. And also like me personally, I, another part of diversity is neurotypes. And like, there are people who have like learning disabilities or like me, very different neurotypes. Like I'm autistic. I'm ADHD. I have ADHD. Like I miss typos sometimes. And I've absolutely been discriminated against by my clients before um, who are no longer my clients because they had these weird hangups around typos. And like, I get sometimes that's incredibly important, but, but also sometimes if you're like me and you get excited, like I, I think I personally have a lot to offer, um, in many ways to society, but sometimes I'm going to miss typos. And I think that's just an example of, um, one way to kind of overlook certain people and kind of exclude certain people as well when it's not necessary i mean for copy editing sure but i think also it's worth noting that you're not paying people to do applications like this is not their paid time so they might not put all of like their spidey senses on for typos um and like there is part of the application process where i do actually pay candidates at the very end um you know just like the top few but i think it's also worth noting like you said kira people have lives and like 
and jobs <laughs> when they're applying. So let's be reasonable about what we're asking in this initial screen. And let's not take cheap shots to try to just make it easier and cut a bunch of people out. Like, do the hard thinking work ahead of time and be intentional about what we're asking people to do. I love that. And the other myth that I wanted to talk about was using personality assessments during the hiring process. And I I actually think this is another way that our um, self-obsession has manifested as entrepreneurs and <laughs> – you know, we need yep. to understand who we are and it feels so good to be seen, especially when you're doing these like scary solopreneur things all on your own. And we lean on these personality assessments to find community and to find an identity and, you know, stuff like that. But a lot of candidates, a.k.a. 92 percent of people that don't consider themselves entrepreneurs are not sitting around all day taking like Enneagrams over and over again and then studying who we are. You know, like it's likely like that's like a really privileged place to come from that we have time to sit around and think about this and introspect on this. And it is important. Like, don't get me wrong. I know all my assessments. I'm on that train a hundred percent, but I have heard people say like, Oh, this is a great shortcut to finding the best fit for your team. Can you talk a little bit about why that's not true? <laughs> oh boy. Well, it's another cheap shot for one. It's, I mean, and who's to say that you need someone who, like, I'm an Enneagram 9. I need to make sure I don't have another one of those. Or, Kira, you're such an Enneagram 7. Like, who the fuck knows what's going to be good? It's just one framework. And there is a lot of evidence that suggests that there's a lot of bias that goes into these, especially racial. So do your own due diligence instead of taking these shortcuts. And I think, too, you can be really limited by your own knowledge. Like, I, I think I, like with the, I, I used to use one called the Colby, which I think is a very good tool, a management tool. I don't think it's really great to you necessary to use it when you're screening people. Um, because I've been surprised. I've been proven wrong by Colby scores. Cause I decided to try with, um, a couple employees I had a while ago. Um, I didn't get the Colby until later. And I, 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 I would have I would have been limited by my own knowledge or lack thereof of Colby because certain scores that I thought wouldn't work for me actually worked great when it came to Colby. The reason why it didn't work out was unrelated to to mm -hmm. that stuff. And like, I think these are we can do what we can to protect ourselves and protect. I think ultimately at the end of the day, and I don't know that I've really said this publicly before, but people are afraid of rejection and they're afraid of, of course, like turnover or like getting their feelings hurt by, cause we're people at the end of the day. I think a lot of these things that have been popular in online business, like what's your Enneagram, you know, using personality tests or using these hidden words, I think it's a way for people to try to protect themselves from rejection. And the thing is, if you go into entrepreneurship, you have to be open to rejection. You're going to get your feelings hurt, especially when it comes to people. On the flip side, you take those risks. You can't really grow a business without people. Um, you can try to have contractors. You can try to protect your feelings, but it's going to affect your bottom line. It's going to affect your happiness. You, you have to take some risks. And you can work with people like me and Kira who 
will support you when you're feeling some kind of way or when you're feeling vulnerable or rejected. Um, but when you take those risks and, and when you actually allow yourself to be open to people instead of kind of trying to put up these walls, that's when you can get the really good results in your business and the satisfaction of management and just fulfillment. That's so beautiful, Meg. Thank you. <laughs> oh, no. Are you going to cry? No, no. Not today, oh, bitch. Okay. okay. I was a little... <laughs> it's, I... No, it's a new year. It's a new year. We look like Steve Jobs here. We're, it's, we're both wearing black. It is 2023. This is, this is a new us. You just got your very sophisticated rebrand. No, I ain't crying, bitch. I'm just like... Yeah, maybe job, Steve Jobs, baby. but I mean, I still have tool on my sleeve. So like, we're still, you know. <laughs> well, I am still wearing a crop top. My black shirt is a crop top. So. <laughs> Steve Jobs could suck it. Um, you can suck so... it, Steve Jobs. <laughs> is he dead? Yeah. Oh, I feel bad now. Well, I don't know. He'll never oh, no. do this. I mean, he's he was oppressive. Oh, okay. Well, that's a story for another day. I'm not even going to open that. That's another story. I mean, you know what? At the end of the day, we are all people. And what really matters is that we hold ourselves and others accountable. And we try to do better every day. And that's what you and I do with our clients. We do. We do. I think we try really hard. And that's one of the reasons that I think our clients are so And we do it without judging them and making them. Right. Well, and we do it without judgment and making them feel bad. But we're here to help guide. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, we are. Um, Okay, so I did. (laughs) I want you, even though I know we went on a little longer than I meant to, because one of the things that I really wanted to talk with you about was what we ask all of our guests, which is, can you talk about one of your shitty ass bosses that you've had? And we touched on a little bit earlier in our corporate trauma, but you were a teacher and I think we've over COVID and the last couple of years, we've actually had teachers being more open about their experiences and things like that. But you have a very, you had some really crazy experiences and the goal of on the up and up is to learn from each other to be better and change the way we're leading. So can you talk to us a little bit about that experience and what you learned and how that informs how you manage people now and all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I was having a flashback to one of the trauma moments when you mentioned trauma. <laughs> it's so crazy that like we still, I, I hope that we're, we're part of the creating of a new, of a new thought and a new process mm-hmm. behind work and how that can make our lives right. more enriched. But it is so crazy how every single person that I talk to has a story like this. Yeah, and I I think the bosses have a lot to do with it, but I think it also talks a lot about like the fabric of our society and especially in my in my experience working in the nonprofit world or like in in schools, I think there were limitations that my bosses had based on I mean the same limitations that I had because I, you know, I fucked up when I was a teacher. I was not perfect. And I look back and I try to forgive myself for my fuck ups because I'm like, well, you had, there was only so many resources and time of day that you were working with. And I I think a lot with um, my bosses too, but I will say it, it was when I didn't feel safe, that was the most traumatic for me or when I was, was 
given blame for my performance, but not given options or tools on how to improve my performance. It's when I felt like my boss didn't have my back with administration or with parents or with kids. Um, that was the most traumatizing for me or, um, when we, when we feel like we can't do our jobs or our bosses are not giving us the equipment to do our jobs. Like I worked with, um, I, I worked with a more disenfranchised population, lower income population, a title one school. So just meaning, um, kids mm -hmm. that are qualified for free and reduced lunch by the federal government. And there were times where I just felt like I couldn't do my job effectively. And like, yeah, some of it is systemic, but when there were certain kids that I felt like had learning disabilities, but I didn't have the tools to get them what they needed. And that was, it was when I felt disempowered, um, was the most disheartening. So I guess from that is, finding ways to work around the system or to change the system or empower our employees or do a little bit more of the work when we're dissatisfied with our performances, doing a little more of the hard legwork of like using our brains to help them find solutions um, or to really work with them to find solutions. Um, I, I ask a question a lot on interviews of like, when was the time that you got feedback from a boss that I, I'm not trying to have my candidates out themselves for being doing a bad job, but I'm like, when was it that a certain piece of feedback rubbed you the wrong way? And why do you think it, it rubbed you the wrong way? And for me, it was when I was in my first year of teaching, my fourth year teaching, but my first year at a new school system. Um, <laughs> I was young. I was I was like very sick. It was, it was hard. I was teaching third grade all in French with a lot of other very challenging restrictions like curriculum and whatever. And so I'm literally teaching third grade French math instruction. And then my boss said to me, Megan, where's your passion? And I was just like, excuse me, sir, madam, like what? <laughs> like, that was the feedback that I got. And I'm just like, I am killing myself for these kids and for this job. And my feedback is, where is your passion? And I'm just like, this is not helpful. Like, where were the resources? Where were, I was just expected to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't like a real connection or a real, he wasn't meeting me halfway to help me get to where he wanted me to go. And I didn't really understand where that was. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of a lack of clarity and a lack of ownership there. Um, and I don't think this person's a bad person or maybe not even, I've never been a principal. I thought about it, but then I dropped out of principal school and quit teaching and moved to Chicago. So what the fuck do I know? Um, <laughs> but I think it really comes down to as a boss taking responsibility and not just putting all the onus on your employee to figure it all out. Yeah. I mean, I think that that is one of the narratives that we want to help entrepreneurs rewrite is that you don't giving someone an opportunity is also it equal or more 
a responsibility that we're taking on. And when we bring someone into our ecosystem, we are responsible for their experience. And in the past, I remember even just, I catch myself in moments where I'm rewiring myself to think like, this is their job. They got to show up and they got to do it. And if they're not doing it, then that's on them. But really it's, yes, that is the truth, but it's also one more step in that if they don't respond to that, or if there's no improvement, it's still my responsibility to help them improve. Like that's still my job. So like Mm -hmm. writing it off and letting that be the end of the story is something else. But um, I loved what you said about feeling safe. We're going to have another episode come out about psychological safety and how to create that in your workspace. But I mean, it can be such a simple thing of just checking in on people and making sure that they know that you're available for them, making sure that you're showing up. Creating mm-hmm. psychological safety is just showing up as yourself all the time, being authentic, um, being honest mm-hmm. when you may not be able to 100% show up as you are. And it's crazy to think of how, what if that principle had approached you in a way that was like, I know you have your passion in there, but like, how can I help you to bring it out? Like, how can I support you? How can I like, where would you be now? Like to have somebody that was Mm -hmm. there to create a safe space for you to show up fully. And also like we affect other people through our work. That's the reason that work is such a thing because we have impact on so many people. And it breaks my heart when I know so many amazing teachers that have been treated in very similar ways that you have, and they are no longer able to affect those masses of young children in the way that they could have had they been able to pour from a full cup, you know, and had their Mm -hmm. boss take it seriously. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, our public education system is a totally different ballgame, but, um, and maybe another podcast episode, but I do think that there is a lot (laughs) of your experience that you bring over to this that informs the way that you help people show up for these interviews and help them show Mm -hmm. up for their new employees Mm -hmm. and help people learn how to be a better boss. So I think it's beautiful Mm -hmm. that your pain Mm -hmm. has been turned into something amazing. (laughs) I think, I think so too. Yeah. And (laughs) one thing that's amazing about, sorry, one thing that's amazing about teachers though, and I am, and I do recognize my bias uh, towards hiring teachers is that we're really good at being creative and creating new pathways to success. And I, I feel a lot of that energy when it comes to our new way of doing business and our entrepreneurial world and, um, and just using some of this grit and some of this, um, creativity to, to make really beautiful things happen. Mm-hmm. I love it. And That is all to say that we are officially relaunching our Hiring VIP Day, which is essentially a hiring VIP month-ish. But um, uh, what we do in this service is we have essentially figured out how to meld our processes together so that we can create a truly done-for-you service, but also make sure that everything that our client and their business has is bringing to the table is interwoven not only into your HR policies, but also into the path in which Meg finds you your next employee. So we've sort of designed it in the way that you can show up for one day and you spend some time with us and our teams. And for about two to three hours or so, we design and create your entire HR 
strategy for this first person, your employee handbook, how you're going to manage their performance, the KPIs that they're that you're going to measure. Um, and then you also get to talk about what that person is, how they're going to work for you. And Meg is going to essentially do the thing, go find them for you and bring you some candidates. And I know we had this, this was wildly successful last year when we did it. Um, we worked with four companies over the course of a month. Um, and we were able to deliver amazing candidates. I think that I, I want to say almost it's been a year now and almost all of them still are working for those companies. I think maybe one of them mm-hmm. yeah. moved on. Um, but we'll bring those over the course of the next few weeks. We'll bring them in and we'll do lives with those clients so you can see what this really looks like. But Meg, I know that this was a really transformational time for us last year when we launched the Hiring VIP Day. But what do you think was some of the yeah. fun parts of it, like working hand in hand HR and recruiting that were different from times we've worked hand in hand before. What I love Kira is that separately you and I are very good together. (laughs) We are really fucking good. And when we can, we, and when we can work together in real time with our clients, I just feel like the results that we get and the ahas that we get are just amplified. And I always have my clients work with you and vice versa. Us doing it at the same time, when we, when you and I can get our heads and our hands together, especially for that first employee or that first big employee in the business, we set our clients up for so much success because we set the tone for the rest of their hiring and HR. And a lot of the ways that people, you know, when they DIY it in the beginning for an employee, a lot of these heartaches that we see some of our clients go through, we mitigate it from this VIP day that only takes a few hours away from our clients. And you and I get to work together, which is really fun, but I think it's incredibly impactful for our clients when not only do they just, Kira, what do you think? But I can jump in there and vice versa for all the things. And and they have our team members too, who are also really awesome. And like, I, you know, Paris and I are very good at helping our clients, um, kind of navigate things or figure out who to go with. But bitch, when I can get you and Kylie in there too, when it comes to like decision-making, you just have a whole team behind you and setting you up for success the first time. And then I actually worked with one of our VIP day clients again for, for another hire. And she was set up so well just from our VIP day. And then everything that you and Kylie did from the VIP day HR wise, like, she's set up, she's golden. And then we just picked up where we left off and I, and I got her a junior designer. So like, it was awesome. I don't know. You just set us up for success and and get two for the price of one, two Linda's for the price of a VIP day. (laughs) And I know that we previously talked about how a really solid hiring process can take up to six to eight weeks. And we've figured out how to cut that time down a little bit because we can be so direct. The HR strategy can be so directly informed Mm -hmm. on what you're putting out there as for the job applications and things of that nature. It cuts the time down a lot. Um, It's kind of like having a direct, like an IV between both the HR strategy and the, 
and the actual sourcing and looking for the candidate. So it helps with that interview process to make sure that you guys have it's just a little bit more effective to make sure you have your hand in both pots. And it's just, it's comprehensive and having your HR and your recruiting strategy go together. It just makes a lot of sense. And it's really put, I hate to sound like a boss babe, but it's so potent when you bring us together. Quantum leaps. Oh my gosh. Is that, is that, Oh God. <laughs> um, well, I will say that in traditional the, I think the reason I love it is because in traditional business, there's no disconnect between the person doing the HR and the recruiter or the person doing the hiring and the HR of the business. They're very much enmeshed and it gives those corporate businesses a huge advantage on the process of the hiring and things like that. And so we've been able to kind of create where you have an entire HR and recruiting department working for you for a compact amount of time, but it gets the same results. level of results. Mm-hmm. And it's one of my favorite things that we've ever oh, yeah. done. Like, yes, we can work with clients at the same time all the time, but having that synergy there we um, go. That's is Steve really Jobs. fun. And it also allows <laughs> it also allows our clients to I think one of my favorite things is when we get to tell them like, okay, this was so much fun. Enjoy your last hour with Meg. We're going to get to work on our end and then we'll see you when it's time to onboard in about a month. And they're just like, what? And you're like, yeah, that was awesome. Like, I'll let you know when your candidates are ready. And so it really does feel like we're taking good care of people. And I think as much as that's like informed by the patriarchy that we as women feel like we have to do that, it is so rewarding to be able to set up these women and these founders for such success to get real true support by actually giving them true support. Like, I really I love it. It's my favorite thing to do. You can go to HiringVIPDay.com, find out more about the service, and hop on a call with one or both of us, and we will be able to talk you through if we think this might be a good fit. Um, we don't do that, like, whole, you have to apply to work with no, us just thing. talk to us. Um, but, yeah, but we'll talk to you about it. And if it's not a good fit, then you can definitely, we will we'll move you in another direction because we don't want to sell you something that isn't going to work for you, so... No pressure sales on our on our end nope. here. And from that, I think, Meg, I don't know. Just thank you so much for being here. And I can't wait to to meet our first couple of Hiring VIP Day clients and of the new year. Get going on this whole journey again because yes. it's so much fun. It is. Thank yeah. You. And you didn't even you didn't cry. I didn't like cry. I just year, I'm so me, proud of you. New year, new me. I'm Megan McCoy now. <laughs> Megan Baker. She cried. Megan McCoy. She don't cry as much. <laughs> she just laughs. Like she's I love you hinge. so much. I love you. <laughs> You're the best. Thanks for having me. We're like, Ugh. okay, bye. <laughs> bye. If you're listening to this, you've stuck with me for this entire episode. And for that, I say thank you. I hope you found as much value in this week's topic as I do. If so, be sure to follow, rate, and review on the Up and Up podcast. You'll be helping others find the fun in HR too. Follow us on social media and join us next Wednesday for your weekly dose of On the Up and Up.